Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. Special welcome to any of you who might be new or visiting with us. Uh, we're always so glad to have you join us. Um, and special welcome if you're watching online this morning. So this morning, we are going to continue our series uh, on that we're calling He Refreshes My Soul. So we're taking that line from Psalm 23, and we're just talking about what it looks like for us to walk with the Good Shepherd, for us to be uh, following him, to allow him to lead us, uh, and therefore to feel that refreshment and to be um, led in the ways that he wants us to be led. And so as a part of that today, we are going to talk about uh, emotions and trauma, everybody's favorite topic uh, to talk about. Um, so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump right in. Lord Jesus, um, we know that as we dive into this topic of loss and grief, um, emotion, trauma, that for some of us, those emotions might be uh, close to the surface. They might feel very fresh and so, Lord, I just pray, uh, as we talk about this this morning, that you would be with them, just as it says in Psalm 23, and that knowing you, the Good Shepherd, are with us uh, this morning, that that would be a source of comfort. And as we approach this topic, I ask that you would work through the lives of each individual who is here today uh, and all of the different places they're in when it comes to emotions or trauma. You know every one of our needs, Lord, and so this morning I just ask that you would be present uh, in meeting them today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So I don't know about you, but for me, 2021 actually felt harder than 2020. Uh, I just spent a lot of time in 2021 feeling weary and worn out. And, you know, at first my instinct and everyone around me's instinct was like, well, you just need to take some time to rest more. And so I really worked on that, you know, and, and while this hasn't been true in all aspects or all times of my life, I really was practicing Sabbath regularly and, and spending time resting. And every time I took more time to rest, I just came back feeling the same. And I was so frustrated because everyone just kept telling me, oh, well, you know, you just need to take more time off. And I was like, I think I told Joel at one point, if anyone else tells me that I need to take time to rest, I might punch them in the face. And I wouldn't really, but that's how I felt because I just felt so stuck and I felt frustrated because I felt like I'm trying to take the right steps here and for whatever reason, it is not doing anything. It's not changing anything for me. And so it wasn't really until I, I sat down and I, I created a lot of space to, I didn't really create it, God created it for me, thanks um, COVID isolation and all of those types of things, uh, where I had time to really process through some of the emotions and the losses that I felt in that year and maybe even you know before that. And that wasn't necessarily a fun process, um, but I think looking back, I realized how necessary it was and how processing those emotions and taking time to really feel them uh, and to bring them to God helped kind of get me unstuck from that feeling of constant weariness. And so I don't know if you're in a similar place, if 2021 felt similar to you, um, but this morning we're going to talk a little bit about how processing emotion um, and different things can help sort of aid us in this process of trying to feel refreshed and trying to follow Jesus as the Good Shepherd. Um, and I'm going to talk about emotion, I'm going to talk about grief, I'm going to use the word trauma, 
and so I thought I would just give you a little bit of a definition of what I mean when I say that, because it's a word that gets used a lot now. Um, trauma, it's, it's a, took this from the internet, is the response to a deeply distressing or disturbing event that overwhelms an individual's ability to cope and causes feelings of helplessness. So I know for some of you, you use the word trauma like it's no big deal, right? Like you went to the grocery store and they were out of your favorite snack and now you feel traumatized. Um, and where some of you maybe are on the other side and would say like, yeah, I don't even really admit when I'm sad. I don't really even like using the word that I'm sad. So I understand we might be in a wide um, spectrum of how we think about emotions, how we deal with them. But wherever you're at today, uh, what I want to talk about this morning is just, I want to first look at why we don't always process our emotions, uh, why we sometimes can feel stuck in that. And then I want to talk about why God calls us to do that. What does scripture say? How does God um, invite us into that process? And lastly, we'll talk just briefly, and then we're going to really help you hopefully dive into that more in your community groups about how to practically feel emotions and practice processing through them. So I'm going to start by talking a little bit about why we don't always do this. And uh, the first thing is that honestly, I think some people, some of us just don't know how. And now I know not all of you grew up in Minnesota. I didn't grow up in Minnesota, but still in the Midwest. Um, but wherever you grew up, whatever your family's history is or family culture is, you live here in Minnesota now. And part of the culture of Minnesotans is that we do not typically talk about our feelings. And this is maybe goes back even further to kind of the heritage of a lot of the people who settled here and how they process emotions. Maybe it's just a cultural thing. Um, but there's not a whole lot of comfortability around the idea of processing emotions, talking about them out loud with other people, and acknowledging them. And some of you might even say, like, Sure, Julie, but I don't really have that many emotions. Like this is, I'm not a very emotional person. And I would say, I think you probably have more than you think. Uh, part of it, you probably don't have as many as me, maybe if you're in that place. Um, but I think part of it is that we're not practiced at recognizing them and acknowledging them and processing them. So some of it might just be needing to learn how. It's a skill just like anything else. It can be learned, it can be modeled, it can be taught. And, and some, so for some people, it might just be something that just haven't had a whole lot of practice at, and that's okay. You can learn. Uh, I've had to learn. I definitely had to go through that in my own life. And my, you know, I didn't talk about emotions a ton growing up, and it's something I had to, to really reckon with. The second thing is something we've been kind of talking a lot about in this series so far is just that we are often too busy to slow down and to think about how we're feeling or take time to acknowledge it and process it. Um, and not only are we too busy sometimes, but there's this idea that we value moving forward, right? We value success and progress and taking time to look back at our emotions and taking time to like feel them and just kind of sit in them does not feel like moving forward, right? Sometimes it can actually feel like moving backwards. And so I think there's a part of us that does not like to do that. Right? How many times have you maybe said in the last couple of years, Ugh, I just want to move on from this. Right? I just want to be done, and I want to move on, and I don't want to have to think about it again. And so we don't always like to slow down and process them because it makes us feel 
like it's interrupting our progress or our moving forward. And the last one, this one's always a kicker for me, we don't like to feel out of control. And emotions can sometimes make us feel like we're not in control. They're messy. Uh, sometimes when we're sitting in it, we don't even know exactly what we feel or how to communicate what we feel. Um, and it can just make us feel, it busts the, the idea that we often have that we're actually the ones in control. Uh, and it makes us realize that we're not and that we have to deal with that and kind of process through it. You would think that after two years of being in this pandemic, we would be used to the idea that we're not in control, but I don't think, I think it's gonna take us a lot longer to get that message through our head. So I don't know if you're relating to any of these things or not, um, but I think that it's just a part of our culture, it's a part of what we're used to, uh, and it's just sort of how the world works right now. And so in order to process our emotions, we might have to fight against some of those uh, different things. And I just want to say a quick word uh, about the idea of coping, because I think that sometimes when we have big emotions or a lot of things to process at once, coping is an okay thing to do. I think God created our bodies in such a way that when we have too many things, when we're overwhelmed, he gives us ways to sort of block that out for a time so that we can come back and process through it. And so over the pandemic, over the last few years, I'm sure we've all engaged in different coping mechanisms. Um, I don't know if anyone else attempted to bake sourdough bread like I did, which I look back and I think, why was that a coping mechanism? I mean, I was trying to make gluten-free sourdough, which is even like a whole other thing. But this thing is like time consuming. It's frustrating. Like why would this is not a good coping mechanism. I don't know why we chose it, but many of us did. Um, but whatever it is, whatever you chose as a coping thing, a lot of people, you know, turn to Netflix or different things to get your mind off of whatever you're processing. Those can be good in the short term, but if you extend them into the long term, then they can often turn into things like addictions. So, right, things that, that become more than just, uh, I just need to kind of help myself get through this process now and become this thing that we can't get out of, we can't break. So whether that's substance abuse, whether it's technology, constantly turning to it to distract ourselves, to numb ourselves, entertainment, food, whatever it is, these things are not meant to be long-term ways of dealing with our emotions and our, our trauma. And, but they can be helpful sometimes in the short term. Okay. So again, whether you relate to this or not, here's some of the reasons why we don't, but I want to spend most of our time talking about why God calls us to process our emotions. Why does it matter? What does scripture say about that? So first of all, just the idea, scripture does say that emotions matter. There are tons and tons of examples in scripture of emotions being processed with God all throughout it. If you read the Psalms, you can pretty much find every human emotion in those, all of the Psalms, right? We see joy, anger, gratitude, disappointment, loneliness, fear, peace, love, uncertainty, anxiety, depression. You can literally find it all in the Psalms. And David, who is the guy who's kind of thought of as writing a lot of the Psalms, is someone that we look at in Scripture and right? people say, oh, he was a man after God's own heart. But I think what we don't often remember, I read this um, from an uh, author, used, a former pastor named Pete Scazzaro, but he talks about how David was a man after God's own heart, including in how he processed his emotions. We should see those examples in the Psalms as ways that 
we can model, or positive things that we can model, he modeled for us and that we can do as well in a way to be led by the good shepherd and to follow God. But it's not just in the Psalms. We see there's an entire book called Lamentations. Just entire book is a book of lament. Uh, if you read the prophets, uh, Jeremiah is one in particular who very aggressively expresses his emotions to God. So if you ever feel like you need to very aggressively express your emotions to God, he's a good guy to, to read. Uh, and we see it in Jesus. Jesus expresses emotion, right? He weeps when his friends die. He has compassion and empathy when he sees people who are lost or who are struggling. He gets angry when he sees injustice and he wrestles with God's will in the garden. You know what we don't see when it comes to emotions in scripture? We don't see, or at least we don't see it expressed in like a positive way, people saying, oh no, you don't need to feel that way, or you'll just get over it with time, or just be positive. Think of all the good things, all the blessings in your life. You just need to be grateful. You know, we don't see examples of people stuffing their emotions down, at least not positive ones, uh, as a thing of like, hey, you should model this. It's not something we find. And the reason is that if we don't deal with our emotions, they don't just magically go away. As much as Minnesotans would maybe like to act that way, that's not the reality. We need to bring them to God and sit with them and feel them and pray and process through them with him. And here's another aspect that we see in scripture. If we don't process our emotions, we will pass them on to those around us or to our children, or maybe you received things passed down from your parents. Uh, there's a verse in Exodus, Exodus 20, verse 5, that I think a lot of times makes us cringe. We don't really like it. It says, uh, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And that's something that we hear and we're like, ooh, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like the idea that that would be the case um, because it feels unfair, right? We're like, well, they didn't do anything wrong, so why are they receiving the consequences to it? But when we look at how God deals with sin in the Bible, oftentimes his way of quote-unquote punishing or how we might think about it is different, right? His way of dealing with it is saying, you want to pursue this wrong thing or you want to pursue things other than me? You want to not deal with these things? Okay, you can go ahead and do that, right? God's way of dealing with that is often saying, all right, you can go your own way. It's not going to go well for you, but I'm not going to stop you. And so we see that uh, in all of uh, history. We see that in our own families, and research in psychology talks about it often, that the sins and the habits and the traumas and the unprocessed emotions that people experience often then get passed on to their children. So if you are a parent, I'm sorry, but you are never going to be a good enough parent that you won't mess your kids up in some way. <laughs> it's just the way we are. It's just the, we live in a broken world. We are broken people. And so I'm going to free you from the uh, expectation to be absolutely perfect. It does not exist. It will not happen. But how we deal with our, our sins and our traumas and our emotions, that can make an impact on what it looks like as it gets passed on and, and the things that your kids see modeled in you as you deal with those things. 
And if you don't have kids, you can probably think to your own family, whether it's your biological family or the people who are your caregivers or whatever it is, and think about the, the traumas and the things that they experience that have then come to impact you. Or maybe even it's just how they dealt with emotions or didn't deal with them and how that taught you how to deal with emotions or, or not to deal with them. Um, the same pastor uh, and author that I referenced before, Pete Scazzaro, he has a saying that I think is just, it's funny, but it's also true, one of those types of things. And he says, Jesus may live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. So no matter how much uh, you, know, you are grafted into a new family, that is true. When we believe in Jesus, we are adopted into a new family. We have newness. We have the opportunity for transformation and new life. All of that is true. And we still came from the places that we came from. Our experiences still impact us. They don't have to define us, but they still are a part of our lives, uh, and we still need to deal with that. In that quote, he goes on to say, in other words, those who precede us in the family tree, our grandpas or grandmas, cast a long shadow, even generations after they're gone. Every disciple then has to look at the brokenness and sin of his or her family and culture. So part of what it means to walk with Jesus is to look back at these things, to process through them, and to pursue that newness and transformation that we have in Christ. Because there is hope. Like I said, we are brought into a new family with new history and new uh, ways of doing things and habits. Uh, but we have to look back at the ones that we are bringing in with us before we can kind of change those things and be transformed. So scripture says it matters. It matters that we deal with our emotions for ourselves and for the people around us. Here's another thing that we find is that we if we want to be fully integrated people and Christ followers, then we need to be able to deal with our emotions and our traumas. So not only does scripture give positive examples of people expressing their emotions to God, research also tells us that it's important. It's an important aspect of being human. And I really appreciate when the research that we see in the scientific community or social sciences lines up with the ways that scripture calls us to live and how God created us to be. Uh, Brene Brown, who is a famous researcher and author, talks about this in her viral TED talk. Uh, and I had to look back at when this came out and I was shocked. It came out in 2010. It's called The Power of Vulnerability. I don't know if anyone else has seen it. Um, as I looked back at it, I thought, wow, some of our college students were only like 10 when this came out, which is, oh man. Um, but anyways, uh, if you haven't watched it, I'd encourage you to watch it. It's just TED Talks, it's short. But one of the things she talks about in it and that her research as a, um, she's like a social worker and does a lot of research in that area. One of the things that came out of it was that you cannot selectively numb emotion. So she says you can't selectively numb emotion in your life. If you have hard things or trauma or pain or loss or those difficult emotions that you experience in life, if you say, nope, not going to deal with that, just going to stuff that down or numb it or ignore it, you actually start to numb your ability to feel the positive emotions in life. So things like peace and love and joy and happiness, you can't 
cut out part of yourself and part of your feelings and have it not impact the rest of of yourself, right? We're integrated people. Everything we experience impacts our whole being. And so she talks about how if you continue to say, nope, not going to deal with those emotions, you start to not be able to feel the full effect of the things that we would want to feel, the happier emotions. You can't cut one part of yourself off and expect the rest of yourself to continue functioning at 100%. And some of these things, like love, joy, peace, you might be thinking, but those are fruits of the Spirit. So like, I'll just spend more time with Jesus and keep pushing those bad emotions back, and I'll be totally fine. Well, you can try that. Um, I definitely tried that at different points in my life. I can tell you that it did not work. Uh, And it's ultimately not what God wants for you. God wants all of you, not just part. When you choose to surrender your life to Jesus, you surrender it all. Everything that's happened to you, every experience that you've had, whether positive or negative, maybe the ones you don't want to remember, the losses, the griefs that you've faced, the hard emotions that you feel, even the ones that you don't want, like maybe anxiety or depression, anger, sadness, it all has to go to God. That's what it means to follow the Good Shepherd. And as I was thinking about this, the story uh, in Scripture of the rich man kept coming to mind. So it's this guy, and he comes to Jesus, and he's like, what do I have to do to follow you, right? Tell me what it is. I'll do it. I really want, I want in. I want to follow you. And Jesus knows that this guy is a rich man, and he says, sell everything you have and give all of your money to the poor. Then, come, then you'll be able to fully follow me. And the thing that always strikes me about this story is that it says in, in Scripture, it says the rich man went away sad. He couldn't part with that piece of himself, of how he viewed himself, that, uh, the money that he had, the wealth that he had. He was unwilling to give it to Jesus and to follow him. And because of that, he went away sad because he couldn't have what he wanted. He couldn't fully follow the good shepherd and experience all of those things that come along with it. And I think sometimes for us, there are things in our lives, whether it's trauma or emotion, uh, loss, whatever it is, that feels so much a part of us or that feels so hard to process that when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, I'm here and I am a part of this, I want to be a part of your healing, we go away sad because we're unwilling to give that up. We're unwilling to dive into what it looks like to process through those things. And I think the stream or tradition that our church comes from, and I don't know your personal experiences, but maybe you've had similar things, um, puts a really high value or emphasis on uh, believing the right things, right? Joel talked a couple weeks ago about how uh, there are different things that can cause us to have superficial transformation, whether it's like only focusing on believing the right things or only focusing on doing the right things. Um, And I think Many of us come from a stream where the focus was really on like, check the theological checkbox, right? Know the right things, say the right things, and you'll be fine. And because of that, I think oftentimes it puts a lower emphasis on our emotions and how we deal with them and how we process them. And so if you're coming from that type of church background or family background, maybe that's where, you know, the kind of family you grew up in, it might be time to start thinking about how your emotions fit into your walk with the Good Shepherd. Or 
on the other hand, if you came from a, a church or family that put a really high value on emotions, then you might need to kind of go the other way, right? This is kind of one of those things that we have to balance out. And so if you're like, yeah, I'm really great at feeling all the things and, you know, always focusing on how I'm feeling, then yeah, maybe you need to think about how those other aspects fit in as well. But either way, research and scripture tell us the same thing. It matters for us to be fully integrated in our lives. If we want to be full followers of Jesus, uh, we need to be able to bring all of ourselves and surrender all of ourselves to him. So why? Why does it matter? Why does God want that as a part of your walk with him? And I, I think the biggest answer is that he uses it for our growth. He uses our emotions and our trauma and our pain for our growth. And I want to be clear here, that does not make trauma or loss or pain good. You do not need to use this as a silver lining. In fact, please don't. <laughs> pain and loss and trauma are hard. They are difficult things. And you don't need to try to sugarcoat that and to make it better because God is going to use it for growth. I don't think God intended it to be used that way. And my favorite place in scripture that really illustrates this point is that God doesn't waste pain, and he shows this in the story of Joseph in Genesis. So if you're familiar with Joseph, if you're not, maybe you're familiar with like the, the musical or kind of the movie, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Um, it's the story of this guy who, he goes through some real trauma, let me tell you. First, he gets sold into slavery by his own brothers. So he gets betrayed, and then they're like, eh, we'll just leave him. If he dies, whatever, that's fine. And then he recovers from that, and he's falsely ac accused of uh, pursuing a woman that he wasn't. He's thrown into prison, and then while he's there, there are some people who come, and he helps them out, and they're like, hey, man, we're not going to forget about you. When we get out, we're going to make sure we come back and get you out too. And guess what? They forgot about him. So he stayed in prison for a very long time. And then finally, he uh, helps interpret the Pharaoh's dream, like the big guy who's in charge. So he gets out of prison. He ends up with a really sweet job uh, where he ends up saving a ton of people from dying of famine. Pretty crazy story. Encourage you to go read the whole thing if you're interested. Uh, but eventually his brothers who sold him into slavery and started this whole traumatic thing uh, moving, they show up and they apologize. And after everything that's happened to him, he could have blamed them. He could have taken out all of his anger and frustration from the last however many years out on them, but he doesn't. Instead, he says something that is truly remarkable, in my opinion, and I always come back to it. He says in Genesis 50, verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And I have to imagine that Joseph isn't just saying this as like, oh, well, look on the bright side. Look at what God has done. It's all good now, you know, whatever the saying is. Water under the bridge, not a big deal. Uh, no, <laughs> he experienced deep trauma because of everything that happened to him. He was mistreated, forgotten about, betrayed, accused for years. I don't think you can silver lining your way out of what Joseph experienced. I have to imagine that the only way that Joseph is able to say what he says in Genesis 50 is through a time in prayer with God. 
allowing him to process those emotions, to grieve, to lament, and not only then to come out on the other side, you know, being able to say this, but with a deep, unshakable faith in what God is doing in his life. I have to imagine there was a lot of struggling and wrestling and asking God why while he sat in prison or while he, you know, had all these other things that happened to him. Because you can't just come out of something that hard and say, you know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So when we process our emotions, our griefs, this is often where we meet God the most. It forces us to slow down from that busy pace that we've been talking about and walk in step with the shepherd. And it makes it clear to us what's fully important in our lives and what we can let fall away. And I was recently talking about this uh, with one of the members of our leadership team, Miles Trump. Uh, We were kind of talking about the upcoming sermon series and some of the different things. And Miles just shared pretty vulnerably some of the stuff that he had been processing through and the ways that he had seen God working through the pain in his life. And Uh, It resonated with me, it resonated with my experiences, and I asked him if he'd be willing to share. Unfortunately, he's in North Carolina uh, for a wedding this weekend, so he is not here this morning, but he did write out something, uh, a piece of his story for me to share with you. So I'm going to read that for you. This is a picture of Miles and his family. Uh, If you haven't had a chance to meet him yet, I'd highly encourage you to talk to him. But uh, I'm just going to read you his story so that you can kind of hear what he has to say. So he says, As a Christian, I've often struggled with the idea that Jesus loves me. Intellectually, I know that Jesus loves us. I know God's love for us is so great it transcends words. So great he would send his own son, whom he loves, to bear our sins and die on our behalf. But beyond this intellectual knowledge, I've had difficulty comprehending that Jesus could love me, the real me, So I hid behind cleaner, more polished versions of myself. I presented versions of me I thought would be easier to understand or easier to love. There was the first in my family to graduate college version of me, the successful journalist turned corporate communications pro version of me, the happily married version of me, the father of two beautiful daughters version of me, the versions of me that are presentable, understandable, and acceptable. All these versions of me are real and true, but so are wounds that have shaped me in immeasurable ways. Wounds that are complicated, challenging, and ongoing. Wounds that I've hidden for most of my life. And if I'm being honest, I didn't believe that Jesus would love the wounded version of me, because I didn't always love the wounded version of me. It's only now in my 30s that I've started to look back and understand this. My life hasn't always been hard, but I have seen trauma, a rare disease that led to more than 70 surgeries on my throat throughout my childhood, a voice unlike anyone else's, a father I met for the first time when I was 26 years old, big questions of identity as a biracial man, the added weight of navigating the speed traps of being black in America. I know my wounds needed healing, but I tried to heal myself on my terms, I bandaged my open wounds with success, wrapped them with ambition, healed them in the solve of other people's validation. Like gauze, I covered my trauma with all the successful versions of me, thinking foolishly that this would heal me. And at age 32, blindsided by anxiety and depression, I peeked under the bandages and saw that my wounds weren't healed at all. So I got help 
I went to therapy, I talked about my childhood, I talked about my pain, I felt all the feelings that the, that the successful versions of me would never allow me to feel. And somewhere in the process, I started to have empathy for myself, to like myself, maybe even to love myself. Real healing started to happen when I began to feel that Jesus loves me too, not just knowing it intellectually, but beginning to feel it somewhere deep within me. I realized that he always has loved me, wounds and all, and that he knows what trauma feels like because he suffered the ultimate trauma bearing the weight of humankind's sin out of an unexplainable love for us. Jesus loves the boy who used to be so scared before every surgery that he'd vomit as he was being wheeled into the operating, operating room. The teenager who was so afraid of rejection that he wouldn't get too close to anyone, even his best friends. The college student who was so driven to success because he wanted validation from others to know that he was okay. The professional who was driven more by fear of failure than by using his talents to make a positive impact on God's kingdom. The husband and father who was trying, and sometimes failing, to balance the complex combination of marriage, parenting, family, work, and his own healing. Jesus loves all these versions of me. I believe that for the first time in my life. And with that belief comes freedom. Freedom to be, to love, and to heal. And he ends it just by saying, wherever you are today, I hope you hear in my story that our God loves every part of you too. And I just wanted to share that because I think, again, it resonated with me and with the things I've felt and experienced. And I felt like there's so much power in hearing other people's stories and hearing the ways that God does work, right? It's one thing to read in Genesis that happened so far away and to read about Joseph and what happened to him. But it's another thing to read something and to hear the story of someone who is in our church and who is our friend and who is someone we know personally. And I want to encourage you, too, that if you are in a similar place uh, to Miles, to know that God does love us through all of those things, all the versions of us that we, we hide or we present. And the way that we can kind of feel this or get to that place where we can know that God loves us is through digging into our emotions and the difficult parts of our experiences. So I want us to turn to Psalm 23, which is the psalm we've kind of been using as our um, guiding point throughout the sermon series. And I want to reflect on this passage a little bit as we think about what it looks like to um, walk through our emotions, especially if you're someone who's like, the idea of doing that really freaks me out or really scares me or I just don't feel like I'm ready. So Psalm 23, uh, the first verses, it starts with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of, righteous, of righteousness for his name's sake. And then this verse 4 is what I really want to uh, look at. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So in the psalm, David says, even though he walks through some terrifying times, he doesn't fear evil because he's comforted by knowing that God, the good shepherd, is with him. Now, what is this valley of the shadow of death? Or some translations say the valley of deep darkness. Kenneth Bailey, he's a scholar. Uh, Joel mentioned him the, uh, the other week, but he actually lived in the Middle East and, and kind of saw and, and communicated with and talked with a lot of people who were shepherds in that time. And so he describes this valley of the shadow of death 
uh, as something that I can't quite picture, I can't quite understand because I've never seen it, but he says it's a valley and it's sort of these like deep crevices in rocks. Uh, so it's a very narrow passageway. And he says that oftentimes there will be like flash floods where water will suddenly come through um, or there's bandits that kind of hang out around. It's a very scary place to be, not very safe. Um, he says it's no, at, in some of them, it's no more than 12 feet at the widest point and so narrow at points that if something happened, the sheep wouldn't even be able to like turn around to go back the other way. They're like so squished in there to go through that it's, you're in it, right? And he says in his book, he says, the valley of death or deep darkness is a selection of the trail that cannot be avoided. There is no bypass road, no magical escape. The only way forward is through. And like I said, I have a hard time picturing what, what that looks like, um, but the, the thing I was picturing actually fits in terms of an analogy pretty well. Um, it's just underwater. So uh, if you've seen the movie Finding Nemo, um, I was picturing this scene where the two fish come up to it and it's like this trench through the water and they're like, which way should we go? And they're like, that looks really scary. We should go up over it. And, you know, there's more to the story. You know, Dory is supposed to remember this and she can't because she has short-term memory. Uh, but they try to go above it and they end up getting stuck in this like crazy amount of jellyfish and it's, it's very, it doesn't go well. I'll let you watch the movie uh, if you don't remember that part or if you've never seen it. But the idea is that the only way for them to get through that section to get where they were going was to go through it, to go through the trench, to go through the deep, dark, scary parts of what it looks like for us to deal with the things going on in our lives. And the, the, what, the same idea, the same picture that David is talking about. The only way to move forward is to go through. And Jesus knew this uh, and experienced this personally in the garden. Our good shepherd faced the ultimate valley of death and darkness, and he wrestled with it. In the garden, before Jesus went to the cross to die and experienced trauma that we will never know or never understand, he prayed, he wrestled with God in anxiety and in anguish, asking God, is there another way? <laughs> If there's any other way to do this, I want to do it. Let me choose that way. And instead, he says, God, if there isn't another way, if this is your will, then I will do it. I will go through the deepest, darkest valley that there ever was because he loves us so much and wanted so deeply for us to be able to be in relationship with God and to have that type of comfort that David talks about in the psalm. So Jesus makes the decision to go through the trauma of the cross because he loves us, because he wanted to create a way for us to be reunited with the Good Shepherd, to have full access to repaired relationship with God and to restoration in our souls. So not only is God our Good Shepherd and he's there with us to comfort us in the middle of our darkest valley, but he has walked through it as well. And... He was resurrected. <laughs> the story doesn't end with Jesus on the cross. It ends with Jesus being raised again, being raised out of the darkness, out of the deep valley, and into new life. And that should give us hope that we have, even in our darkest times, even through the darkest valleys that we might have to go through, 
there is the hope of resurrection, that God is doing a new thing, that he is bringing new life and transformation into our hearts and into our souls. So I told you, I I promised I'd give you a little bit of a way to make this practical. So if you are new to the idea of processing emotions, dealing with trauma, um, or maybe just even acknowledging that you have emotions, I would encourage you to just practice, right? So maybe you look up one of those feelings wheels. Don't have to find the cheesy kid ones that have the smiley faces, but like there are real ones that are, are very helpful. I have used them at times when I've felt like, man, I don't know how to express what I feel right now, right? They give you all these different lists of different types of emotions you could feel. So just practice it. Maybe you look at it every day and say, I felt this today. And I encourage you, don't do this alone, right? Brett in the call to worship talked about how God created us to be in community and to share our sufferings and our burdens with one another. So practice it with someone. Uh, if you, you know, if you want to talk to me or Joel, we are always available. Uh, if you want to talk to people in your community group, if you want to see a counselor, um, we have a list of recommended counselors that I can, I can send to you if you're looking for someone and you, and you want to start a relationship uh, with a therapist. I will say, if you are talking to a counselor, I sometimes hear people say like, oh yeah, I told my counselor this thing. I would never tell anybody else that. I would say, no, the community of the church, as Brett said, is meant to help carry and bear your burden. So if you need to start with someone like a counselor who you can trust, uh, I encourage you to do that, but I encourage you to work towards sharing it with people in your community and people in your life as well. Uh, one practical thing, Joel and I sometimes will just ask each other at dinner, what are two things you felt today, right? So again, kind of thinking through, like just trying to practice uh, acknowledging and processing your emotions. Practice taking it to God. I will tell you, in 2020, I pretty much in my personal time with God only read through the Psalms because it was about all I felt like I could handle, and it helped me process a lot of the things that I was thinking and feeling. If you're a journaler, this is a great way to get some of your thoughts out or get your ideas out. And then pray. Bring these things to God. Sit with them with him uh, and trust that he is the good shepherd. And know that no matter what you're feeling or going through or processing, that you're not alone. The good shepherd is with you, and Jesus has experienced uh, these deep, dark valleys as well. He knows what you're going through. And we can expect that he will work. We can expect, because of the resurrection, that we will see new life and transformation in our own lives. It might take time. It might take longer than we would like it to. But we know we have the confidence that Jesus is working and that we will see new life uh, as we trust in him. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to move into a time of communion and worship through song. Um, and if you hadn't, didn't grab a chance to grab a communion cup, they're out in the lobby, or if you raise your hand, someone can make sure they, that you get it. But communion is a great way for us to be reminded of the, the trauma and the dark valley that Jesus went through on our behalf. He gave us this physical thing to do as a reminder to say, don't forget, I'm in this with you. I've been through this, and there is hope. And so as you take communion this morning, I encourage you to reflect on that. Um, And if you would like prayer for anything, we have a couple people in the back who are willing to pray. So if you want to start talking to someone or if you just need prayer, you don't even have to tell them what it is. You can just say, hey, I'd just like some general prayer if you're not quite ready uh, to open up about whatever it is you're processing. But I encourage you to take advantage of that uh, as well during this time. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we will head into a time of worship and communion. Heavenly Father, uh, we just thank you for the work that you have done uh, on the cross 
and the ways that you have made it possible for us to follow you as our good shepherd um, and to connect with you even when we are in the deepest and darkest valleys uh, that we experience. We know that you are with us. We know that you are comforting us and that through you we have access, uh, through Jesus we have access to you and have the opportunity to bring those things to you. We don't need to keep them to ourselves, uh, but you have created us in such a way that we can bring them to you and we can bring them to one another in the church uh, to pray and to process together and to bear one another's burdens. So Lord, we just, I just pray that wherever everyone is at this morning, that you would just meet them in unique and individual ways. That you would help them um, to see your love and to see the ways that you are working in their lives. In your name we pray. Amen.